All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. We're back again here with Terry and Travis. And today we're going to talk about 11 ways that you can use Google Analytics, that uh, how we use it too. So Travis, what's going on, man? All kinds of good things. I actually spent the last week doing a complete paid ads audit where I went through all my different paid ads channels and saw, hey, what's working and what's not working. So I use Google Analytics to do that. And the way I did that basically was how much money each page view was generating by taking the total amount of revenue and dividing it by how many page views I had, and then going through and analyzing, all right, well, if this page channel creates four page views and each page view is worth 30 cents, if I'm spending $1.20 or $1.20 on the click, it's worth it or not. But we'll get more into that later. So that was that was really interesting. Like what type of paid ads do you use right now? Product listing ads. If you're not using product listing ads and you can use product listing ads, I highly, highly recommend that. The way product listing ads is you put up your product, you put up a description, put up how much you tell Google, how much money you're willing to spend per click. And they kind of just decide where to put it. So you need to add negative keywords to say, okay, for instance, with me, dance pants, I don't sell hip hop dance pants. It's just regular dance pants. So I put that as a negative keyword. Cause if you don't specifically say negative keywords, Google will show your ad to anyone and everyone at wants to. So product listing ads is hot. Right. Uh, so for me, I guess everyone listening knows we just launched the e-commerce mafia. And so we're about two days in. We have about 17 signups so far. So the funny thing is not everyone's going to be on the call. Um, some guys just bought it for the original gangster title. Oh. <laughs> for those listening who don't know, basically uh, the first batch of people who come in with us, they will have this special forum title called original gangster. And basically, you'll have access to five calls and a back and forum for life where we can continue discussions. You can hang out with Travis and myself and plenty of other folks, too, uh, kind of in the group. Now, one thing I didn't recognize was that there was a listener who sent me an email after this. He was saying, like, hey, you know, I'm actually looking for a call, too, but I only want to do it with people doing 25K a month plus. And I thought, hey, like, I actually didn't think about that. And I guess for the longest time, I always thought that, hey, you know, are there people like that out there in the audience? So Travis and I talked a little bit about this that I think in November we're going to launch a 25k monthly revenue group where they do masterminds with just people in that revenue range so kind of up the game a little bit kind of a ballers group so we'll see how that goes and so if you match those revenue thresholds uh, send me or Travis an email and then we'll link you guys up all together I think it'd be a super super cool group uh, just to just have so many ballers uh, on the same calls so yeah, that's about it for me. Yeah, uh, that's really exciting. That'd be a really fun group to be a part of because then you kind of get rid of all the easy questions like, oh, should I use this AdWords thing? You know, what are all, what is this, this Google Analytics? How does it work? And you get into the real game-changing stuff that you can do to your e-commerce site. So I'm excited for that. So if you're making over 25K a month in sales uh, and you're not a dropshipper, these, we're talking guys that man manufacture their own products, you own the brand, you on the inventory, uh, shoot Travis or I an email, uh, terry at buildmyonlinestore.com or travis at buildmyonlinestore.com. So today we're going to talk about Google Analytics. So the number one tip, setting up paths and funnels. Uh, what's this, man? So do you not use paths and funnels? I use funnel visualization. That's the only one I use really. Okay, so I set up a couple different paths and one of the easiest ways to do it, a really quick, easy path I think everyone should use is the path starts when someone adds something to a cart and then it ends at product checkout or the path could start at any page. So maybe you, you have the path start when someone lands on your product page. Then the next step is going add to cart. And then the next step is actual checkout. And basically what you can see is how many people drop off. 
And you can see why they drop off. Instead of going to add to cart, they go to a different page. And I'm going here right now to try to look at my funnel. What percentage of people are actually completing the orders? And you can try to optimize that. And if you don't have goals set up, it's a lot more of a, a pain to try to figure that out. Yeah, because you're just shooting in the dark without goals, basically. Exactly. It's a little bit of a pain at first, but once you get it down, and you can also do it for things such as getting emails. So one of the goals I have is I want people to get the $5 email that I offer because I offer new customers $5 off. And I try to see, well, what's my conversion rate on that? And what can I do to improve that? There we go. Yeah. So I start with shopping cart, then I go to one page checkout and then order place. And people that go to the shopping cart, I have like about in this last month, 509 people going to the shopping cart. People that go to my one page checkout, it's about 315. And then people from there that actually go to order place is 244. So an important thing is people that are at my one page checkout, the 315, how come some of them don't go to order placed? I mean, they're literally at the page putting in their details, putting in their credit card information. And for some reason they don't finish up. Do you have heat maps on that page too? That'll probably tell you where they're clicking also. I should get a heat map. Because analytics doesn't tell you where they're clicking. It only tells you like a percentage, I think, on the in-page analytics. I also will tell you uh, what page it's going to. Like I see a lot of people have gone to my article, one of my article pages, and I'm pretty sure that's the page where we talk about shipping. That tells me that people, when they're checking out, one of their issues is, hey, yeah, it's the free shipping thing. So people will... When they're checking out, they're like, well, what's this free shipping? What's the details on it? You should go to that page and see what they're looking at and then move that onto the add to cart yeah. page. I have the main one and then I have another one that is for the email, but the email funnel is it's just a goal. Did, did they add the email or not? That's not even really a funnel. I want to split test a uh, my homepage. And so I'm going to add a funnel of people that land on the homepage, people that go to, I don't know how exactly I'm going to do it, but maybe go to any page and then people that go to checkout and all that kind of stuff. Dude, the tool I, I told you two weeks ago, Clavio can track it via email. They can see it once they open an email. You can set behavior triggers where if they abandon cart, it'll move them to a different tag within the back end. Because that's the only way you can really track each person by email, right? Is if your email is actually tagged through the analytics. But I don't think Google does that. But some email softwares actually can do that but it's on a third party thing. And then you kind of have to move your mailing list over too. It's kind of a pain in the ass. So. Yeah, no, that's something actually I definitely want to get around to. That's the problem with e-commerce. There's so many things to do that it's always like, all right, well, what's the next, what's the most important next step to take? That kind of leads into number two, a good way to tell what some of the most important next steps to take is by setting up e-commerce conversions. And e-commerce conversions allows you to see each of your sales as like a data point and then each of your sales, you could see where the source and medium of the traffic came from. So you can see, okay, these sales came from cost per click or organic search or direct, how long they spent on the page. Basically, you can see everything and anything about them. And that kind of information, if you don't set up e-commerce tracking, you're in the dark about. So that's one of the highest things I recommend to do. For a long time, it was broken on my site because in e-commerce conversion, when you set up, there's like a dollar figure to enter, right? You enter like, oh, what's the dollar value you want to assign when this goal happens. Well, if you have different products, you can't just set one price, right? So it turns out in big commerce, the card I used, I thought you just paste the analytics code in it and it would just spit the data out. But it turns out you actually have to add a certain snippet of their own code into that analytics code to make it work. So it can tell analytics like, hey, this is this thing was 50 bucks. This thing was like 200. This thing was 50 or something like that. Otherwise, you're just like, it doesn't shoot the right data. 
So for the longest time, I didn't know that until I fixed it. And I was like, oh, okay, finally now it's working. So Yeah, it was a pain in the butt for me too, because the same kind of thing, the way Volusion worked, I was able to find some code on a form somewhere where people took JavaScript and the JavaScript actually generated all the information for me. So it says, oh, what's the price of this? And the JavaScript said, all right, the price of this checked out part is $125 total. And we'll just take the order number and all that kind of stuff. JavaScript needed to tell Google Analytics where it was, right? Like what the value of this order is. But if you just paste it, it can't figure it out itself. And I think that's why a lot of people have broken e-commerce conversions because they don't know that you need to change the JavaScript on whatever shopping cart you have for it to communicate properly. Yeah, it, it took me a while to figure it out. And I think that I actually have a little bit of a coding background. If I didn't, I probably would have been lost. So, you know, if you have a problem with this, email me and maybe I can help you figure it out. Do some Google searching and I guarantee you'll find someone else that had the same problem using your platform and they'll be able to help you. Yeah, chances are your shopping cart has some tutorial in the help section that tells you how to do this. It should, it should definitely have it by now. Just the coding stuff can get a little tricky. All right, cool. So number three, uh, paid ads. Yeah, so as I was kind of talking about earlier, the paid ads, if you're using paid ads, you need to need to be using Google Analytics. Otherwise, it's just a shot in the dark. And there's a couple different really cool features. Assuming you're using AdWords as your main source of paid ads, if you go to acquisition and then AdWords on your Google Analytics, you can actually go to the bid adjustments and it'll show you a breakdown campaign by campaign of how much money you're spending versus how much money in revenue you're getting back. This is extremely helpful, but one of the things to keep in mind is that's just a fraction of the total sales because in reality, some people come to your site. I noticed this with myself. Some people come to our site on one computer using paid ads, but don't actually buy until they go home maybe. And by the time they go home, they direct put in the URL. So it shows up to me as a direct URL purchase but they actually found us using paid ads. So it means they're slacking off at work. Yeah, absolutely. That's, Whatever. oh, absolutely. <laughs> which is good, which is good. Right? That's what we want. We want people that when they're at work and they got some free time looking at my site and spending all that time or all of our sites. And then when they go home to finally make that purchase, 30 to 40% of my total conversions comes from direct URL entering. That's a pretty high percentage. There's no way that 40% of the people that buy from me just happen to know about us from a friend or happen to type in ddancewear.com and come to my site. They're finding me somehow. So what I actually do is I'm not just interested in how much money each of the paid ads is making me. I'm actually interested in how many pages on average per session the different paid ads generate. And I'm looking at it now and a lot of them generate about three to four, but I have a couple that are generating only one to two pages per session. And the ones that generate only one to two pages on average per session, cost per click needs to be lowered on that. And that's what I did uh, this last week. At the same time, some of them need to be raised. There is some of the ones that, you know, I'm getting six, seven on average page views. Well, then maybe it's worth paying a little extra cost per click. So you'll get more traffic to that. So just to make sure I'm understanding this, right? You're basically, since people bounce between paid ads, search, direct traffic to buying to you eventually, you just want people to stay on your page as long as possible. And then down the line, that'll convert. But so you're basically just sorting it through page views off a paid ad group category and then just adjusting the pay-per-click and the cost per click uh, based on that. Absolutely. Like I said, the, the way I determined that was I looked at our total revenue for actually this was for the past two months and then looked at our total 
pages per session for the last two months. And I took the revenue and divided by the total number of pages that everybody looked at my website only within the United States, because that's the only place people are going to convert. And then I also figured in what is our profit margin, but I figured on average, we make about 30 cents per page that someone looks at. And that also doesn't take into account the long-term value of the customer. And I'm, I'm ignoring that for right now, just because I don't, I don't know how to figure that out yet. That's something I'm really interested in. Just from an acquisition standpoint, once you know the average view per page view or something, it gives you a ballpark idea to then tweak other things basically. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and you know, another thing actually that you can do using uh, analytics with your paid ads is find out negative keywords. And the way you do that is in AdWords. If you go to search query queries, you can look at all the different matches that your AdWords got and find a lot of negative keywords. Like for instance, I said earlier, if someone types in hip hop dance pants, I don't want to match to that. So I went through that and I found all the different keywords that I don't want people, I don't want my ads showing up when people are searching in Google. But the good thing about using analytics is you can actually see the amount of pages per session and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so besides negative keywords, you can also, okay, I see. And you can throw those back into the PLAs too. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually added 1500 negative keywords to all my AdWords accounts. Cause I was getting, I was getting a lot of junk. I was getting things like girls in booty shorts. And it's like, well, I don't want to pay. I don't want to pay a dollar so someone can look. Some old perv can look at my website. He's probably looking for Google Images, not dancewear. So that's the thing. People will still click on your your stuff, and you got to realize people are kind of mindless when they're searching on the internet. They'll click on the first thing that comes up. So if they're typing in something completely, I've had people click on my stuff, and it's completely unrelated searches that cost me a dollar. They're on my page for a second, and then they exit. I don't want that happening. That's a waste of my money. It's a waste of their time. Yeah, if you think about it, you get like a hundred of these clicks. That adds up to a lot of money, actually. Oh, absolutely. In AdWords, you can actually add, link your analytics. Yeah, so you can see it while you're in AdWords. And you need to, you absolutely need to link it. I only recently did that. I had it linked so I could see my AdWords and analytics, but I didn't have it linked so I could see my analytics and AdWords. And that's kind of something that's helpful too. That way that you don't have to switch over to analytics to see your costs or your, your pages per session, your average session duration, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I hate doing that logging into analytics and logging into AdWords, logging into PLAs. Like that, that whole thing just drives me nuts. I agree. Doing that, going into, like, they need to figure out some way to just have this in like one place. It doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, I guess next thing, uh, split testing. Yeah. So if you're doing split testing without Google Analytics, you're insane. It'll tell you a lot of things. So one of the things I'm looking at doing is split testing the layout of my homepage. What I plan on doing is a couple different things. The first thing is figuring out, so someone that lands on one homepage, what path do they take versus the other homepage? So maybe someone lands on one of my homepages and they spend more time on the website, but they kind of go down this rabbit hole of, reading about us and reading this random stuff, but never actually purchase. And the other one actually makes them purchase. And my plan is to use Google analytics to figure out pages per session on average, average session duration, also extremely importantly, their path they take and do they actually check out or not? You have the base figure for your revenue per page view, right? So you can then see which one tweaks which one gives you a better result? Absolutely. I'm really interested. One of the things I want to try to test is I want to add a video to my homepage that basically just talks about who we are and what we, what we do. And I think that will really 
bring up the average session duration. And what I've heard is if you can bring up the amount of time that someone's on your website, the chances are that they're going to convert is way higher. Plus, then they, they see a video about who we are. It makes us seem a little bit more real. It's not like we're just some website off in China. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So next one, advanced segmentation. Well, so advanced segmentation will allow you to do a couple different things. But one of the main things is it allows you to say, okay, I only want to see people, for instance, that use, that come from mobile on my analytics. So you can filter through all everybody else and it's only people that are on mobile. For me, it's extremely helpful because I realized my site sales from mobile is pretty much zero. And without advanced segmentation, I might not have really noticed that, but I can figure out more importantly why. So by filtering out everybody except for mobile, I can go through and say, okay, well, so why is this? What's the path that people are taking? Where are they getting hung up? And I figured out it's a couple different things for us. And the big thing is checkout. Checkout's pretty much impossible with mobile. And sadly, I never tested that. But now seeing it in Google Analytics, it's like, okay, let me go test that. Do you even have a lot of mobile traffic? Like, is it over like 5% of your traffic? 25% of my traffic. 25% of my traffic. You think about it. It's these moms, maybe they're at the grocery store on the doing some errands for the kids and they have some downtime. So they're looking at stuff on their phone. Essentially, it sounds like it. Or they're at work looking at the phone, right? They're at a meeting. They're just messing around. Yeah. And part of the reason it's not high, I mean, it's really high up on my list, but there's two things. One, to make my site mobile friendly, there'd have to be some downtime. And it's kind of hard because right now it's pretty peak time for us. So maybe when I come to Thailand or Vietnam, during the night, I could work on it, make it mobile friendly. And then you know during the day, it'll be up for all the people trying to buy. But the second thing is people that are buying from us for the most part are going to want to buy from us on a computer. Or if you're buying one or two items, you might use your phone. Most of our real revenue comes from people buying for an entire team. If you're buying 10 jazz pants, I'm surprised if you're using your phone. I feel like you're going to go on your computer and make sure things are good. If you're spending 300 plus dollars, you want to be on a real computer, not some tiny phone. Well, also you guys have like what, 200 colors too. How are you going to sort through that on a phone? That's going to just take forever. There's going to be some techno- uh, technological problems, but I have some ideas on what we can do. So when you say mobile traffic, does that include tablet? No, you can, you can go through and uh, like see which ones are tablet, which ones are mobile. It might be different now, but last time I checked, it was 25%. But so another thing that you can do using advanced segmentation is see people that buy from you and how they interact with your website versus people that don't buy from you and how they interact with your website. So maybe you see people that buy from you, they tend to click on the about us page and people that don't buy from you don't see that page. Well, maybe if you get more people to go to the about us page by highlighting it, making it a little bit bigger on your screen, more people will buy from you. And that's something I've heard pretty commonly that people that go to your about us page, they can connect with you more. They can, they see it's a real thing. They see it's a real company with real people. They're more likely to buy. They hear your story, assuming you have a good story, and they're they're hooked. It was like now when you buy something and there's no person on like their own website, it's kind of weird, right? Like we know people are people on the internet. You don't need to pretend to be some huge company, which makes me think that do you have something to hide that by not putting your picture on here? I really want to highlight the fact that hey, we're a smaller company. Like look at here's the owner, the owner's gonna talk with you. Like we're really invested in you. I mean, you have to look big enough to say, we're, don't worry, we'll be able to fill your order. Don't worry, like we're, we're real. But at the same time, I think it's kind of cool. I think you should play up the fact that we're a small startup. Everybody loves an underdog story. You're saying, hey, look, we're a new company. We're doing some cool stuff. I'd rather give my money to that person than a multi-million dollar, you know, faceless corporation. 
Yeah, exactly. Because there's more connection there too, right? And the interesting thing is that, like on the internet, where you can be anyone by what you choose to post, I think people kind of want this connection that you don't get. Is because like now you don't, you don't you don't have to see your friends. You just look at what they're doing on Facebook, right? And like when people are looking for that connection, like these things kind of play off on a different angle too, especially on like an online store or YouTube video or whatever. And that's as small stores. That's all we really have. I mean. Amazon is always going to beat us on price or, you know, the Walmarts of the world, but we, what we really have is that connection that we can create with people. So play that up. Yeah. There was some guy I saw on social media. He joked that one of his customers, Oh yeah. When are you going to buy me a Porsche? And he sent him like a toy Porsche and like he posted it all over the place. And I was like, Oh, you know, things like that, right. That we can do that. Amazon certainly can't do. So uh, advanced segmentation, let's move on to the next one, uh, referral traffic. Yes, so another extremely important thing you can look at in Google Analytics is your referral traffic. And what referral traffic is, is people that come to your site via a link on another website. And there's a couple things that you can find out from this. One is maybe people are posting about you on a blog. People that post about your, your site on a blog won't necessarily email you say, hey, look at this post I made, it's really cool. They'll probably just put up the post, put up a review, Maybe it's a good review and maybe you want to send them like a coupon or just send them a thank you message. Maybe it's a bad review and you want to say like, hey, you know, we're really sorry that you had a bad experience. What can we do to change it? What can we do to make you feel better? You know, would you like a refund? Whatever. Either way, it helps you realize who's talking about you. Or another great example is people might be talking about you on forums. And we had a referral link from a forum that was Dance Moms. And we actually had a sale from it. We had a $150 sale. I actually, I wanted to, but I got busy and I forgot to do it. I wanted to go on there and send her a thank you and send her a coupon card saying, you know, thank you for talking about us. I really appreciate it. Here's a coupon card. But what it did make me realize is that, hey, there's this whole form. This is great source of traffic. So I did start an account on there and I haven't really been posting or I could get an intern, for instance, to go on that form and start interacting more with that community. Yeah, one thing I look at to in referral traffic is actually the bounce rate. So if they're sending me a lot of traffic and it's just bouncing off right away, it actually doesn't even matter because no one's even having good page views or looking around the site. So it's like if you're doing guest posts or whatever forum posts and they're bouncing really high or really low, then you know where to focus on, right? Because then you can bring them down the funnel if they're actually staying on your site uh, in the first place. Yeah, and one thing that's cool too is that when people mention you, do you have Google Alerts set up for your store? No, I do not. Oh, you should do that. So anytime it's mentioned on Google and it's indexed, they can send you an instant alert saying, hey, you were mentioned on this website. And then you can basically go to the forum and just hit reply. Interesting. Is that through Google or is that? Yeah, it's just Google Alerts. And then you choose to do it immediately, daily, weekly, and I think maybe monthly. I'm not entirely sure. Basically, whenever your keywords pop up. So I have one for build my online store. Anytime someone mentions that phrase, it pops up in my, I get an email saying, hey, you were mentioned here. But sometimes it's not always exact. Someone could talk about like online store and don't get mentioned. So it's kind of a naming issue I have. But basically for you, you would probably do BD Dancewear, like the domain, B Dancewear, yeah. And the brand name, right? Like Bel Air and then have that send you an alert anytime someone mentions you too. Yeah. For me, I found that Pinterest, the time on site is ridiculously high. So that's something that I want to focus on more because people just spend way more time when they come from Pinterest. And I think maybe they have more free time if they're messing around on Pinterest and find our site. But that's definitely an avenue I'm going to look into. Yeah, if you think about Facebook or Pinterest, like 
you see a picture from Facebook because you're probably just browsing it in a news feed. You're not really looking for anything, right? Whereas like if you're on Pinterest, you're kind of just hanging out and bored at work looking for stuff to keep you entertained. So that's kind of interesting to think about the context of referral traffic too, like making sense of all the numbers. All right, cool. So number seven, uh, search terms. Yeah, and we kind of touched on this earlier when we were talking about paid ads, but one thing you can do is actually find the search terms. People find you via just like organic search and figure out which ones are working for you better than others and which ones people have more pages per session in a higher average duration and try to focus more your efforts on that. But they don't tell you this now. Like most sites, they hide it now or Google Analytics only gives you like, I think 10% of the data. That was exactly my next point. So only 10% of the data will they give you. That's something though. That's a good start. But what you can do is find out for that other 90%, what landing page they're going to. And you can kind of reverse engineer it. You can kind of figure out, okay, it must be for me, for instance, like high waist dance pants, that landing page is super high. So it must be keywords related to that. So that information, I could do a couple different things. I could go use it to optimize those pages even more. Or what I can do is take those, take that keyword phrase and put it into paid AdWords because that's obviously something that's working for me. So that's two different things you can do. Yeah, you know what's funny? They only tell you like 10%, but if you go to the Google Webmaster Tools, they'll tell you like a lot more. And it's just kind of funny. They have that data in different places. I think the PR play was like, oh, we're encrypting all our sites, so we can't give you the organic data. But then you go to Webmaster Tools, you see all this data, impressions, click through it, you're like, oh. so Yeah, and that's a good point too. If you guys don't have Webmaster Tools, get Webmaster Tools and link it with your analytics. But it's funny because you're right that the data, even like the number of impressions and number of clicks that it reports in analytics is different than what it reports in webmaster tools. So the 90% of the time they don't give you the keyword, you can find out what was their landing page. If they landed on highway stance pants. Chances are they typed in something related to that into Google. Like they probably typed in red highway stance pants if they landed on highway stance pants page. But then what you can do, like I was saying is via organic traffic, which of these landing pages actually has the highest conversion rates, has the most pages per session, add those to your AdWords campaign. That way you're getting more traffic to these high converting pages, basically. Yeah, you basically double down on those because you already know they convert. Yeah. It's just a matter of throwing more traffic at it since it already works. Absolutely. Which kind of leads into the next point. You got to make sure that your most common landing pages are up to par. And I'll explain what I mean by this. You can find how many people come to each of your different landing pages. And I was surprised because some of the landing pages that were really high up on my list, I didn't even consider. And one of them was we have this page that's nothing but a list of all the colors our clothing comes in. And it was literally just a list of, it would show a picture of a fabric swatch. And then it would say the color underneath it. And there was 200 of these. So people were searching for things like red dance pants and they were being brought to this page because the word red was in there or maybe more obscure colors like light turquoise dance pants. If you type in yellow dance pants, we were number one on Google at least, number one on Google and the landing page would be that giant page of fabric swatches. And the problem is people looking for yellow dance pants come to that page and they think, huh, what do I do next? And I don't want them to have to think at all. I want them just to be like, I typed in yellow dance pants. Here's yellow dance pants. Made me realize two different things. The first one is on that page, I need to 
have links to our most common items. So on the top now, it's not, it's not super pretty, but it's on the top now I have our most common products and saying, hey, are you looking for dance fans? Are you looking for high-waisted shorts? Are you looking for this? Are you looking for that? That way it's really simple. If someone's typing in orange high-waist dan- or dance shorts, whatever, they come in and they say, oh, there's a picture of high-waist dance shorts. Click, now I'm going to buy. As opposed to before, they'd have to figure out, huh, how do I navigate to what I really want to get to? The second really important thing it taught me is that Google liked that page. Google liked this page where I had all these swatches and names of the colors. So now what I do is I have a section of that on each of my product pages. So for instance, if you go to highway stand shorts, you go to one on the sizing, I have a sizing and color chart. If you click on that tab, it'll give you that chart basically. And it'll have a chart of all the different colors with the name of the color there. Rich content page with a lot of words, basically. 100%. And I thought that maybe all those pictures and all those words would seem kind of spammy to Google. Turns out it's not spammy. I take a section of that, put it on all the product pages, giving more content to each of my, because I really want people to land on my product pages. I don't want them landing on my color chart. So they're ranking this color page really high, but is it higher than their products or... I think the third highest landing page I had on my website. So people coming from organic search, it's the third most likely page that they are to land on. I found out why. I did a pretty extensive organic uh, search ranking like test and figured out what pages were ranking for me for what keywords. And I found that almost all these random colors, all the colors that were kind of more obscure, not necessarily your reds, but like your scarlet. So if someone typed in scarlet and then one of my products, the color page would come up because the word scarlet was in the color page, but it wasn't in the product page. Now I put the word scarlet in the product page too, but I don't, I put it in a special tab because otherwise we have so many colors, it'd be too much like information overload. Gotcha. All right, cool. So uh, number eight, conversions and transactions. Yes. And we've kind of touched on this, but basically there's an important difference between transactions and conversions. So for instance, a conversion for me is someone putting in their email. I'm converting them from a prospective buyer to someone that's pretty interested and I've gotten that email. Same thing with adding the cart. If someone that adds adds something to a cart, it's not it's not a transaction yet, but it's a conversion in the sense of it's it's a step closer. And that's where you'd want to set up these goal funnels so you could track these. And of course, a transaction is when someone actually brings that credit card out and purchases something. And these are, like we said, important to set up because then you're able to see how do these people interact with your site? Why are they not putting in the email? Why are they not adding something to a cart? Or why are they not transacting? I think especially with heat maps too, you can tell exactly what people are and aren't clicking. If they're not clicking stuff, you should just remove that from your site, right? Because no one's even looking at it anyways. And then it draws their attention from what you want them to focus on. So uh, number nine, multi-channel attribution. So multi-channel attribution kind of solves what we were talking about earlier with paid ads, where you don't know necessarily where people are coming from that are buying from your site. What multi-channel attribution does is says, okay, some people found your site through paid ads, but when they actually purchased, it was through direct URL, entering the URL directly. And on multi-channel attribution, it'll tell you what percentage of people are finding you from paid ads and then direct traffic. The problem here is that if someone is on one computer and finds you through a paid ad and then goes to a different computer, it won't track that. 
but it gives you an idea of also how people interact with your website in the sense of maybe the first time someone finds you, it's organic search. Then the second time they come to your website, it's through your Facebook. And then the third time, the final time when they're ready to buy is direct. And I'm pretty sure that if you go to transaction, your transactions and see the source and medium, basically where the traffic's coming from, it only tells you the last click. It only says right before this person bought from you, they clicked on one of your ads or right before this person bought from you, they entered URL, your URL directly. Well, that's great, but I don't care necessarily every time what the last way they found me is. More times than not, I care what the first way they found me was. And that's where multi-channel visualization and conversions can really help out. Yeah. So on a higher level, there was a sales book that said most people don't buy on the first point of purchase. Usually it takes six or seven hops for them to actually buy something. So if you think about that from a very high level, how can you make those hops shorter, right? You can look at time on site, things like that. How can you remove the friction so that there's only like four hops into three hops and into like two hops? So it's kind of interesting to do that. But, but I remember this book saying like, it's usually six or seven interactions for someone to really know you and then to be able to give them your credit card. So yeah, and that's the interesting thing about multi-channel attributions. You can see like, like I have some people that came to my site twice through paid search. Those people probably kind of forgot about me. They probably typed in something, found me once through paid search. And then they're like, oh man, what was that site again? I need to, I don't know. Let me, let me just type in Dan Shorts again. And then they found me again. But then you have some people that'll first find you through page search and then come to you direct the next time. And I want, you, you want to increase those. You don't want to keep having to pay people to come back. You want people to remember who you are and come back directly to your site if you can. There's also the odd word of mouth direct traffic where if we're meeting in a bar and I show you this phone, you don't even think about it because you've already seen the phone. You just buy it right away. Because you guys sell the dance studios, right? I'm sure other kids probably see the clothes. So do they just see that and buy it right away without much time or... No, that's kind of a wild card too, right? Yeah, that's the wild card that I can't track. There's nothing, nothing I can do, but it, it plays into, it's okay because that's kind of what I consider to be part of the long-term value of our customer. So, I mean, if we get one customer that has a $20 transaction with us, but she goes and tells her entire studio and all her friends, that's not a $20 transaction. That's a couple thousand dollars that she, that one purchase made for us. Yeah. All right, cool. Last one, uh, tag your links. Tag your links, people. I know we kind of talked about this. This isn't something, this is something you need to do. So uh, there is a, I think if you type into Google URL tagger, at the end of the URL, it says the campaign equals, and then you type in what campaign. It's URL builder. They have a thing. And what it allows you to do is say what the campaign source is, what the campaign medium is, and the campaign name. And what that means is for campaign source, let's say I'm sending out an email blast. I want to tag that is the campaign source as email, the campaign medium. I'm actually not sure what the difference between campaign medium and name is. But I just usually add those as the same thing. So campaign medium, I'd say uh, July email blast. And then same thing with the campaign name. And what this allows you to do is say, okay, how, what's my email conversion? What about from this one email specifically? And I'll use this a lot of times when I send out emails asking for interviews. I'm curious how many of the people I send out an email asking for an interview actually come to my website and how do they interact with my website? You can also use it maybe if you're putting a link in a form and you want to see how does this form work or anywhere you have a link, you want to be able to see in analytics, the traffic from that, you got to tag your URL. So, so it is like Bitly, but it's the data gets pulled into analytics instead of their own dashboard. When I'm doing Facebook ads, I say, okay, 
So the campaign source is Facebook, but where it really comes in handy is campaign medium and campaign name. I put Facebook ad with green button as opposed to red button. And then I can split test, all right, does the green button or the red button, which one gives me better conversion rates and stuff like that. Same thing with display ads. If you're doing any kind of display ads and you wanna be able to see, hmm, which ad did this traffic come from? Tagging your links is how you do it, the easiest way. Can this be ported into the visual funnel too? I believe so, yeah. Very cool, very cool. So that, I think, wraps things up. Uh, let's just go through the list again. Uh, number one, setting up path and funnels. Two, e-commerce conversions. Three, paid ads integration. Four, split testing. Five, advanced segmentation. Six, referral traffic. Seven, search terms. Eight, convergence and transactions. Nine, multi-channel attribution. And 10, tagging your links. Cool, so I guess that's it for this week. Uh, remember to check out the e-commerce mafia if you guys are interested in joining our mastermind. And we're also launching a 25K group later on that I think Travis is gonna run since obviously, you know, he's there. So it'll be kind of cool to hang out with all these people. All right, man, so uh, anything else before we wrap up here? Yeah, I'm actually gonna be recording the first episode of a podcast I'm starting today. I won't go into details yet, but I'm really excited about this. And I think a lot of the listeners, it's something that they might be interested in, but I'll have more news on that on a later date. I'm excited to record my first episode though. Is your site up yet or anything like that? Or is it still in the down low? The site's still in the down low. It's, uh, it's up, but it's not where I want it to be, where I want people like coming there. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. All right, so we'll wait till next week or the week after. Sounds good. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. And if you got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like a cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.